Well, good morning, Crossridge. Great to have you joining us this morning via the live stream. Uh, glad that you're able to do this. It is the August long weekend, and uh, we often talk about our church being gathered and scattered. We know that uh, we've been doing a lot more scattering than gathering lately, and especially on a weekend like this, many of you are out and about traveling to different places. And so I thought it'd be fitting for us just to uh, to join together in prayer this morning and just to pray for, for safety over all that is happening and all the things that are happening in our province as well. So would you join me in praying along those lines? Father, we do thank you today for the opportunities uh, that many people have to be away, to spend time with uh, with family or friends. And God, we pray for your protection uh, over us as a church. We pray uh, that there would be some good family memories built through all of this, that there would be uh, special times that happen. We pray for safety uh, for all the activities that take place and road trips and all of those things. Lord, would you oversee all of that and would you protect us? And also, God, we pray that while we're in the midst of scattering like this, you would open up opportunities and give us the ability uh, just to connect with others and to speak into their lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've got a Bible with you this morning, I do want to encourage you to open it to Proverbs chapter 4. We're continuing our exploration of the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs in a series that we have called The Beginning of Wisdom. And as we've been saying, Proverbs 1 to 9 is a series of lectures that a father gives to his son or his sons. And the father in this case was King Solomon. He wants his son or sons to understand how to operate with wisdom in this world. Now, the lectures are very practical. They highlight uh, what is of true value in this world, what voices the son should and should listen to, who he should and should not associate with, and which paths or roads he ought to take and which ones he ought to avoid. And that last theme, that life is like a path or a road with all sorts of options or detours or potential pitfalls on it is one of the themes throughout the book of Proverbs. And that idea that life is like a path or a roadway is something common. It's a common theme in music and in literature. So Tom Cochran saying life is a highway. Sheryl Crow saying every day is a winding road in literature. We have books like The Pilgrim's Progress that really compares all of life's journey, this journey towards heaven, as a walk along a path or a road. The Wizard of Oz is a book many of us are familiar with. It uses that central theme of a path or a yellow brick road in that case. One of the most famous poems of all time has to be Robert Frost's poem, The Road Not Taken. There's another book that functions in much the same way as the opening chapters of Proverbs. It's also a poem, and that too was written as a bit of instruction from a father to her son, or at least from a narrator to a young protagonist. Many of you are familiar with the book. It was the last book written by Theodore Giesel, who we know as Dr. Seuss, and the book was called, Oh, the Places You'll Go. That book was first published back in 1990, but every spring the sales of that book uh, jump and spike because it's a popular gift uh, for high school and college graduates. And that book begins like this. Congratulations, today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. 
You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. You're on your own and you know what you know and you are the guy who will decide where to go. You'll look up and down streets, look them over with care about some. You will say, I don't choose to go there. With your head full of brains and your shoes full of feet, you're too smart to go down any not-so-good street. And then later in the book, the narrator continues, you will come to a place where the streets are not marked. Some windows are lighted, but mostly they're darked. A place you could sprain both your elbow and chin. Do you dare to stay out? Do you dare to go in? How much can you lose? How much can you win? And if you go in, should you turn left or right or right in three quarters or maybe not quite or go around back and sneak in from behind? Simple, it's not, I'm afraid you will find for a mind maker upper to make up his mind. And then right near the end of the poem, the narrator says this, you'll get mixed up, of course, as you already know, you'll get mixed up with many strange birds as you go. So be sure when you step, step with care and great tact, and remember that life's a great balancing act. Just never forget to be dexterous and deft, and never mix up your right foot with your left. And will you succeed? Yes, you will indeed. 98 and three-quarter percent guaranteed. Well, it's not a perfect book, but there is a lot of wisdom to be found in it. And Dr. Seuss was not alone in understanding that life is filled with decisions about which paths to take and which ones ought to be avoided. But long before Theodore Giesel came along, Solomon instructed his son or his sons with these words in Proverbs chapter 4. And I told you last week that Proverbs 4 contains three lectures. Each of them begins with the words, my son, And we looked at the first of those lectures last week. Today we're looking at the other two lectures. There's a lot of overlap between them, and so we're going to tackle them together. But I want to walk you through it, so let's begin by reading it. This is God's Word, and this is what it says. We're in Proverbs chapter 4, and we're looking at verses 10 to 27. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep. Unless they have done wrong, they are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Well, as we walk through this passage together, I want to uh, just 
walk you through it by making three simple observations. And the first one is that there are ultimately only two paths you can take. You can see the contrast between these two paths as you compare some of the verses in this chapter. So verse 11 says, I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. And you can contrast that with verse 14, which says, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. So one path is described as the way of wisdom or the paths of uprightness. And the other is described as the path of the wicked or the way of evil. Now, I think sometimes even as we read a passage like that or a verse like that or a set of verses like that, we sort of struggle with such black and white categories. We prefer a little more ambiguity. Simple it's not, I'm afraid you will find, for a mind maker upper to make up his mind. Right? I mean, the world is a complicated place, a complex place. So aren't there actually a lot of different paths that we might take? Why am I saying that there are only two paths you can take? Well, let me tell you what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we have limited choices in life and that if we make the wrong choice about something, we're out of God's will and too bad for us. I'm not saying that, you know, marriage is about finding that one possible matching soulmate and that any other decision you make is going to result in lifelong regret. I'm not saying that there's one perfect job or career out there for you and that if you take the wrong major in college, you're destined to be unhappy. It's not what the Bible teaches about the nature of God's will for our lives. There are an endless number of possibilities before us. And so taking job X, Y, or Z might be fine. Marrying bachelor one, two, or three might be fine. But in large decisions like those ones, and even in much smaller decisions, our choices ultimately come down to just two. Now, it's far more serious, but I liken liken this to the kind of decisions you're often forced to make when you go out to eat. Now, some of you might remember doing that. You're old enough to remember those days when we would go to restaurants and order food. Depending on what you are ordering, the waiter or waitress might ask you, what would you like for a side? And the classic choice, as you know, is between salad and fries. But some places have a wide variety of things that you could choose. So let's say you are given the choice between fries, tater tots, onion rings, cheesy potato skins, or a salad. Now, in one sense, you have lots of choices. You could choose from any of those things, or you could choose the salad. But in reality, you really only have two choices. You can choose something unhealthy, some deep-fried concoction that probably tastes fantastic. Or you can go with a healthy option and choose a side salad with dressing on the side. You really have two choices, right? I'm going to eat healthy or I'm going to eat unhealthy. Now, I'm not comparing following wisdom's path to eating a salad without any dressing. That's not what the Christian life is like. Jesus said that he had come to offer us abundant life. That is a life that is better in both quantity and quality. 
The point I'm trying to make is that often, even when it looks like we have a wide range of choices, we could go this way or that way or take this path or that path, often we actually only have two choices. You can travel on the paths of uprightness, or you can travel along the path of the wicked. You can choose to follow the way of wisdom or the way of evil. In essence, you make a choice about whether you will follow God's revealed wisdom or you will simply follow your own wisdom. So when it comes to your career, the ultimate question is not so much, should I pursue this or that vocation, though that's an important question. The ultimate question is, what does it mean to do this is in a way that is righteous and honors God? That's a path decision. When it comes to marriage, the ultimate question is not who should I marry, though that's an important question. The ultimate question is what does it look like for me to behave in this marriage in a way that glorifies God and honors him? This is what I mean by saying there's really two paths or two choices that we can make. And this idea that there are ultimately two and only two paths is something the Bible puts before us all the time. So when Joshua took over as the leader of Israel after the death of Moses, he called all of the people together and he said this, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And what Joshua was telling the people is they had a fundamental choice to make. Now, even then, there were lots of choices they could make. He said you could serve the, the God of the Amorites. You could serve the, 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 the gods beyond the, the river. Or you could choose the Lord. See, ultimately, there were only two choices. In the New Testament, Jesus states the either-or nature of the Christian faith like this. He said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Now, we might be tempted to say, well, look, when it comes to religion, there's actually lots of choices. I mean, I could follow this religion or that religion. I could adhere to this philosophical system or that philosophical system. I could even just kind of mix a bunch of things together and sort of pick and choose what I like and reject what I don't like. I could create my own system. But Jesus says that our choices ultimately boil down to two. We either place our faith in him or we reject him. There are really only two paths we can choose. And closely connected to this first truth is a second one, which is that every path has a destination. I think one reason that the metaphor of a path or a road is so helpful is because of the simple fact that paths lead somewhere. Now, it's common today to hear things like, the journey is more important than the destination. You've no doubt heard that. I mean, this is something the Canucks say every year after another losing season, right? Well, the the journey is important. At least we're kind of learning things along the way, even though they will probably never arrive at the destination that is desired. 
Now, look, there's obviously some truth in that idea that the journey as well as the destination, they're both important. If you're taking a road trip to California, it is nice to get off the I-5 for a while and to get on the 101 or the Pacific Coast Highway. It's slower going, but the scenery is so much better and it can make the trip more enjoyable. If your goal is not just speed, then the journey is every bit as important as the destination or maybe even more important than the destination. But there's an assumption behind that idea. The assumption is that all roads or all paths will eventually lead to the same destination. All roads lead to to Rome. Well, you, you took this road around the mountain, I took this one, but at least we both got to the same place in the end. The problem is that all paths don't lead to the same destination. Proverbs 14, verse 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. In a similar way, Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So Jesus is saying, look, these paths take you somewhere. One of these roads leads to life and one of these roads leads to death. And our passage reminds us that both the journey and the destination are important. So after saying, I've taught you the way of wisdom, I've led you in the paths of uprightness, Solomon goes on to say this in verse 12. He says, when you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. He's telling us something about the journey in that. When you travel along the paths of uprightness, you find a lot less to trip you up and make you stumble. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't or you won't experience temptation. It means that you're not deliberately putting yourself in the path of temptation. And because of that, there will be a lot fewer complications. I don't want to steal the thunder from a passage we're going to explore later, but Proverbs chapter 7 contains a vivid description of a young man who falls prey to the adulteress. And Solomon describes the scene like this. He said, For at the window of my house I've looked out through my lattice, and I've seen among the simple. I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense. Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. Now, I don't even really need to tell you what happens next. I mean, even if you had never read the book of Proverbs before, you would be able to guess. Here's a young guy who is traveling the road straight into the red light district. He's doing it at night under the cover of darkness. There's no surprise where he's going to end up, right? That road, that path has a destination. And back in chapter 2, Solomon had already told us where that path leads. Here's how he described it. He said, for her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. See, this is what happens when you don't look up and down streets, look them over with care, and about some you don't say, I don't choose to go there. 
Your head might be full of brains and your shoes full of feet, but you're not too smart to go down any not-so-good street. Our passage teaches the same thing. Listen again to verses 14 to 17. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they've done wrong. They're robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the the wine of violence. That's what you can expect along the path of the unrighteous. This is where it leads. So Solomon tells us, steer clear from that path. Don't even go near it. Solomon's point could not be any clearer. Travel this path, associate with these people, and you will end up in exactly the same place. All of these paths that we travel down, all of these little decisions we make eventually lead us somewhere. Every path has a destination. Every choice has a consequence. John Ortberg said it this way. He said, we make decisions, and then the decisions make us. What I say, what I think, what I eat, what I read, where I go, whom I'm with, what I do, how I work, when I rest, add up 1,788,500 little decisions, and what you get is a life. Then he said, we go through doors, and what we find on the other side is the person we've become. See, the decisions we make, the paths that we choose, they all lead us somewhere. Every path has a destination. But this is not all negative. Verse 18 then contrasts that and says, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until Full day. So what does that mean exactly? That the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn and that it shines brighter and brighter until full day. Well, there are as many interpretations of that as there are commentaries. I think the meaning is actually quite simple. The longer you walk in the way of wisdom, the longer you walk with Jesus, and the closer, closer you stick to him, the clearer your path becomes. Jesus' words from John chapter 8 are a good parallel. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, many of you know this to be true from experience. The longer you have followed Jesus, the clearer things have become to you. The clearer your path has become. You know which way you're supposed to walk and which paths you're supposed to avoid. Now, we never get to that place of full enlightenment, at least not now. But we see things a lot more clearly than we did at first. And our hope, our comes from the fact that we know there will come a full day when we see Jesus in all of his glory and our faith will be made sight. Every path has a destination. Third thing we see here is that your direction 
not your intention, determines your destination. And this is what we see from the third lecture in this chapter in verses 20 to 27. Now, our English translations actually obscure this a little bit. But there is what is known as an inclusio in these closing verses of chapter 4. Inclusio is really just a fancy way of saying that this passage sort of has bookends around it. So verse 20, and those bookends kind of tie the whole thing together. Verse 20 says, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my saying." The word that's translated incline in that verse is the Hebrew verb natah. It means to bend. The last verse of the lecture, verse 27 then, says this. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. That same Hebrew verb, natah, is translated as swerve here in verse 27. The main idea of the entire lecture is don't bend yourself or orient yourself in this direction, but instead bend yourself or orient yourself in this direction. Choose the path you will take. And the way I said it is your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. I actually borrowed that or adapted it from a book I read a number of years ago entitled The Principle of the Path. It was written by Andy Stanley, and he basically makes only one point in that book, and his point is that direction, not intention, determines our destination. That's essentially the point being made in these verses. The direction that you are currently traveling on, the path that you are currently walking down, relationally, financially, spiritually, will determine where you end up in those respective areas. I mean, it's all fine and well to have the intention of having a good marriage or living debt-free or growing spiritually. But if we are taking down a steps down a path that does not lead to those things, we will never get there. No matter how much we might want to. So you might want to go to California for your next road trip, maybe when they open the borders again. But if you get onto Highway 1 instead of Interstate 5, and you just start driving you will find yourself in Winnipeg instead of San Diego. Now, no offense to Winnipeg, but those two destinations are dramatically different. And see, it's our direction, not our intention, that will determine our destination. I mean, the reality is that no one starts out by saying, you know what, I want to end up in financial ruin." or I want to commit adultery, or I want to drift from God. And yet people end up in those places all the time. How? How do they get there when that wasn't their intention? Well, they get there because this is where the path leads that they've been traveling on. It's the principle of the path. So here's the question for self-reflection. Where does the path I'm currently traveling lead? Where will it take me? And understanding that each path has has a destination and that your direction 
not your intention, determines your destination is what this passage is really driving at. In verse 26, Solomon says, ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. In other words, take a look at where you're stepping. That will reveal where you're going to end up. So be sure when you step to step with great care and great tact and remember that life's a great balancing act. Just never forget to be dexterous and deft and never mix up your right foot with your left. Ponder the path of your feet. That's what we all ought to do. Take great care when you start walking down a path because it has a destination. It will lead you somewhere. Now, it seems like common sense, but I'm amazed at how many people fail to recognize this. So how do you then incline yourself or orient yourself or bend yourself in the right direction? Well, this is what we find in these closing verses of this chapter. I want you to listen to verses 20 to 27 again. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Do not, um, to the left, turn your foot away from evil. These verses are essentially an anatomy lesson in wisdom. Begins in verse 20 by saying, incline your ear to my sayings. Verse 21 says, let them not escape from your sight. It's the eyes. Verse 23 gives us the instruction to keep your heart with all vigilance. Verse 24 says, put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. That's the mouth. And then verse 27 ends by saying, turn your foot away from evil. It's like a total body workout. I remember being in Safeway one time, and the guy in line in front of me was curling milk jugs as he waited for his turn to, to pay for his goods. And he, at one point, he turned around and said, yeah, every, work, every moment's a workout moment. Now, you're probably not going to get big biceps just by curling milk jugs in the grocery line, but the guy actually had a point. If you want something, it's important that you orient your life in that direction. Now, in his case, that might have meant also looking inside the grocery cart to see what he's eating, and does that correspond with his philosophy? Is that going to get him to where he wants to get? And these verses remind us that maintaining wisdom or growing in wisdom is not a philosophical pursuit. It's intensely physical. I think this is one of the mistakes we make with regard to the way we think about the Christian life in general. We talk about a spiritual life as if this is somehow separate from our physical life. But I think we would do well to remember that whatever degree of spiritual life we have is always carried out in a physical body, right? It involves our ears and our eyes and our hearts and our mouths and our feet. And this focus on the body is not just an Old Testament thing. Listen to what Paul said in the the New Testament. He said, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. 
Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. See, every part of us is involved in this. We orient ourselves, we bend ourselves in the right direction. Later in that same chapter, he says this, just as you used to offer the parts of your body body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, that's the path you once walked, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. Every part of us is submitted to God. Every part of us desires to do His will. There's actually more to it than that. If you look carefully... I think you will see a kind of outside-in, inside-out treatment of the body here. So Solomon begins with our receptor organs. He tells us that we are to incline our ear to his sayings. They're not to escape from our sight. And then he ends with our active parts, right? Our mouths, our lips, our feet. And at the center of all those things sits the heart. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. See, the eyes and the ears, those things we look at, those things we listen to, they make their way into our hearts. Our hearts then ponder those things or meditate on those things, and then our behavior flows out of our hearts. First thing Solomon says after saying that we have to guard our hearts with all vigilance is that we are to put away crooked speech and devious talk. See, Solomon understood the strong connection between our heart and our tongue, between what resides inside and what we say. You might remember Jesus saying this, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. See, the heart is at the center of all of this, and so Solomon tells us we've got to guard our heart with all vigilance. In his book, You Are What You Love, James Smith says that the heart is like a multifunctional desire device that is part engine and part homing beacon. See, those things we let into our hearts, through our ears, through our eyes, they become a sort of engine where they connect with our heart that's our engine that drives us then in a certain direction to behave in a particular way. So Solomon is telling us here, we need to guard our heart with all vigilance. And as I think about this passage, I really think it calls us for, or it calls for us to do some self-examination. Who or what have you been listening to? What have your eyes been focused on lately? What are you allowing your heart to meditate upon? How have you been using your mouth? Where have your feet been leading you? Have you been offering your body as a living sacrifice to God? And I think the proper response to a message like this is, first of all, reflection. 
We need to evaluate where we've been and where we're headed. So the second response is really repentance, right? Repentance means a change in direction. If we continue with this metaphor of a path, it means that we recognize, look, in this area, I am traveling down a dangerous path. And if I do not change directions, I'm headed for trouble. So I want to encourage you as we close today to do some self-reflection. The good news in this is that when we turn, when we repent, Jesus is there to receive us with open arms, point us back on the right path. So let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you today for the opportunity we have to both open your word and to reflect on the state of our hearts and the state of our lives. God, even as we think about this, we know that sometimes we feel like we face such a multitude of choices, and yet really in each of those choices, it boils down to whether we will follow you or whether we will follow our own wisdom and desires. And so God, I pray you would help us that in our hearts, we would love you. And out of the overflow of our hearts, not just our mouth would speak, but our lives would flow in the direction that you want us to. So God, we commit ourselves to you. We pray for your protection over us, that we would stay on that right path. And Lord, our destination is heaven. We long for the day. We see you in all your glory. We pray in Jesus' name.